This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, what are the next steps to a more affordable Canada? Dan McTagg and Canadians for Affordable Energy discusses the government's announcements at COP26 and how they could impact Canadians very, very quickly. Blaine Kylo is back on the shift with a wacky and futuristic Japanese role-playing video game. Blaine also raves about Scarlet Nexus and helps us understand what the Japanese do differently when it comes to game design that might make it a little bit more appealing to you. Plus, are you okay with parking tickets? This is the Shift Podcast. Are you okay? Are you okay with parking tickets? Safe to say, most nobody no. would be. I would say. I, I don't think anybody I, is. But here's the part that, like, I feel bad about. I feel bad when I see a parking attendant. For the most part, that must be yeah. like a job. Like sometimes I think, you know, I take a lot of abuse on the call screen line. But I mean. You know, I get great <laughs> calls you? too, uh, but the yeah. parking person probably only yeah. takes abuse. That's, Nobody ever that's is tough... happy to see you, right? Yeah, nobody's happy to see you. That's a tough. That's a tough job. I will say, I I don't drive, and I hate them because the amount of anxiety I see from my friends when it's like, "Hey, let's go get lunch downtown," and then we find parking after thirty minutes of trying to find parking. And then the anxiety of parking, making sure the ticket got through and all that, it sucks. It's It's been a deterrent for me, for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, they suck. I mean, parking tickets suck. And especially today, because most places have the, the digital camera car that drives by. And you used to be able to, in Calgary, tell when that car was coming, because it was basically a car that was, like, wrapped in cameras. And it was, like, well, wrapped. obviously... Like it was cameras on every bumper. There was like three or four of them. They were on top. They were on the bottom. I swear to God, they were taking pictures of the sky. I don't know. They were not going to miss your license plate if you were parked and you're, you're, you hadn't paid. Now they have like a Thule box on top and it's just in the Thule box. It's very sneaky. Just looks like another car. Um, and here in Calgary with all the skiers, of course, with the mountains in proximity, there's an awful lot of people who have those Thule boxes on the cars. You can't tell. Who the parking folks are anymore? Ah, oh, deception. They're learning. Anyway, they are. Imagine that there was a collective no, though, all around the world with parking tickets. Because I don't think anybody, except for the person whose house you parked in front of without your pass or whatever, would probably mm-hmm. be the only person that's happy that you got a ticket, right? Um, parking tickets on their own suck punctuation but in this story they suck even more it all starts with good samaritans being amazing this couple from surrey intervened to bring a man back from an overdose they saw they helped and how did the universe reward them for their amazing deed a parking ticket here's more from global's paul johnson what a day it was for kaylin borden and his partner Haley. Going to pick up some friends at the Surrey Central Skytrain station Friday when they noticed a man down and clearly in distress. When I got to him, something was clearly wrong. He was laying down beside his bike. He was turning blue in the face. He was turning cold. Haley called 911 and Kalen sprung into action with everything he knows about resuscitation. For the next 15 to 20 minutes we gave him several naloxone injections we performed cpr and with the help of a few helpful passersby and it worked 
Minutes later, he was up and talking to the paramedics now on scene. Kaylin and Haley then resumed their day. But when we returned to our car, we had a parking ticket situated in our car for the incident happening less than 30 feet away. Hardly the recognition one expects from a good Samaritan act. While Kaylin gets it that the ticket writer may have been unaware of what was going on, it's still stunned. Sharing his disappointment on social media, he had many sympathizers. There was a little bit of frustration there, I'm not going to lie. Um, it was kind of funny. It was, but it, was, it, was, it was a bit funny at the same time. You know, we were just trying to do, a, do our good deed for the day and we come back to a ticket. Yeah. That's bad luck. Yeah. That literally sounds like the plot of a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode. That sucks. Well, thankfully... This is the day after Good News Tuesday. So we have a good ending to this story. It's a bit of a stretch, isn't it? Uh, the $80 ticket was issued by Diamond Parking, which operates the lot adjacent to the SkyTrain station. On Sunday, Mike Poirier, the company's vice president of operations, offered to waive the ticket on a side note. Oh, good. In a province that averaged more than five overdose deaths in a day in the first half of 2021, Borden's experience also shows the value of keeping naloxone close by and getting first aid training. Most naloxone kits are free and yep. they're available at pharmacies and having one in your vehicle uh, is probably not a bad idea. I don't. And I'm going to take this as a reminder to uh, look into that because I will be around the pharmacy uh, this weekend and find out. So good reminder. Okay. Um, are you Okay. Are you okay with Ryan's birthday this weekend? Oh my God. Uh, why are we talking story. about my birthday? Is it again? though? It, I hadn't heard. It's Ryan's birthday. Oh, you didn't. Ryan, I didn't did you hear. Not hear. No, no, hear no, I didn't hear uh, or get an invite. I can't believe. Well, let me help you understand. <laughs> Coming up this weekend. I'm surprised, actually, that you didn't hear. It's been pretty hush-hush, though, yeah. in all fairness. Yeah, yeah. I haven't said much. Yeah. This Very weekend humble. is going to be Ryan's birthday. <laughs> now you know. Are you okay? Are you... <laughs> Ryan is so red right now. <laughs> I tried. I tried so hard. <laughs> Are you okay with wildlife? Uh, see, now this one's like parking tickets. Like, hey, nobody's okay when, with parking tickets, but who's not okay with wildlife? Well, when I think wildlife, I think Brendan Kelly. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Very good. Very good. Overwhelm you with tales of my existence. However, wildlife. I, wildlife. It's great. Who doesn't like wildlife? Well, mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you guys find you ever freeze up when you're around animals in the wild that's something i even like a dog it's easier now with cora laura's dog but if a random dog would kind of come up to me i would freeze i'd be like, not afraid but just i would have no idea what to do and if i saw a deer uh like at my old house sometimes we we'd see deer and i'd mm -hmm. be like do i scare this deer off i don't know what to do around animals i appreciate them but i have no idea what to do i, I don't really freeze up around a deer or a dog but like a grizzly bear maybe sure. i might yeah fair yeah fair yeah yeah not many people um get hurt by the deer basically no one basically nobody just in case you're wondering oh dear unless of course uh, those deer yes. have showed up for your birthday party this weekend oh <laughs> ah nature it's beautiful 
Hang on a second. I could do this better. Ah, nature. It's beautiful. The birds in the trees. Whoa, that's the, a loud bird. <laughs> yeah. It's a big bird. <laughs> the bees in the hives. And the piranhas in the lakes. Yes, huh? the carniver- carnivorous fish are pretty scary when you think about it. When you think about it, nobody likes a piranha. Razor sharp teeth traveling in large packs. You don't want to mess around with a piranha. Or you would think, anyway, it turns out they can be pretty harmless most of the time, like when they're not hungry. Here's more from What If. Of the few species of piranha that are attracted to the smell of blood, well, they tend to go for prey that's roughly the same size as them. In fact, if you fell into a pool of piranhas, chances are they'd actually be scared of you. Piranhas aren't really interested in humans, unless they are extremely hungry and the human is already dead. But it's not like someone would starve a pack of piranhas and put them in a pool just to watch them eat something. At worst, you might get nipped and gnawed on a little, which is scary enough, but you can rest assured that there has never been a scientifically proven case of a human being killed by a piranha. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. That's that's a nice story. I don't have a sound effect of a piranha. I do have a walrus, though. Very loud, Walrus. Loud one. Walter. that bird. (laughs) Um, Well, there's no history of people getting killed by a piranha until now. Well, not really, but still a mind-blowing story with an unfortunate end to it. A man was reportedly died in Brazil after jumping into a lake to escape the bees, only to drown and then get eaten by piranhas. You thought you had a bad day. That's bad luck there. That's a hell of a way to go uh is it too cold to make a joke about that at all i mean well you got to now i have to like i imagine like at when they're doing uh, his memorial or something they'd be like the good news is he got away from the bees right like i don't know like how do you (laughs) i don't know how you do that i don't i don't know i don't know man well it's unfortunate According to Nine News, this bad luck gentleman was 30 years old, fishing with friends when he jumped into a farm lake. A firefighter who performed to the rescue uh, said the carnivorous fish had, you know, worked on his face and other parts of his body. Worked on. Uh, It's not yet known if the attack came before or after the man died. That is dreadful. That's the what if. We may have our first case, but probably not. Still. I can't even imagine. I can't imagine if 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 it was before he died. That's horror movie level stuff. Yeah, this sounds like a horror movie. And not to mention the thought in your mind would be, oh, bees, bees, I love bees. Give me the bees. You'd think. Well, that got weird. Are you okay? Are you okay with birthday haircuts? Or haircuts? Uh, Haircuts. Haircuts? Haircuts are nice. I feel like we do this one all the time, and then I'm supposed to be like, yeah, I'm a fan of haircuts. Yeah, it's because I'm bald. 
Do you do it at home though, or do you go like ever get like a hot shave on your head? My uh, dad does. No, that. I never let anyone else do it. No, I don't let anyone else mm. really near me in general, to be honest. So <laughs> yeah, I do it all myself. <laughs> uh oh, that's a very what? good point. People. <laughs> yeah. Well, my dad does uh, recommend the hot shave on oh, the head. Nice. Well, for yeah. some reason, hair has been an important part of politics. Justin Trudeau, say what you will about his decision-making. His flow is borderline magical. Magical, yeah. Out of control. Flow. Donald Trump's hair is whatever that is. Mm -hmm. I imagine it stains a lot. And (laughs) Boris, Boris. That's a typo. Boris Johnson's hair. Is pretty wild. The British Prime Minister is known for having blonde hair that goes all over the place. There are some who say he makes it messy on purpose, and some people in the UK want him to uh, clean it up a little bit. Good question. Yes. My mom. Your mum. I do. That's because. Representing the country abroad. Well, would, well, I, well, the the place, it's, well it's, it's, it's something to do with my hair, but I can tell you I do brush it. I have a brush. In my office, but anyway, give, give, will you give your mother my very best for a very happy Christmas? And my apologies for my hair, but I do my best with it. Oh, he does his best. Yeah, and he does yeah. his best. Uh, if that's his best, <laughs> let's be honest, yeah. that's not right. Uh, yeah. Well, there's actually some genius here. People think that he messes his hair up on purpose so that you don't take him as seriously. So if he does something stupid. It doesn't stick with you as much. It's all like an image thing. Strategic. It's really, really? interesting, yeah, actually. Strategic. Yeah, I yeah. Like, that. like people, yeah, people say that he'll go through wardrobe, and right before he gets out for a speech, he'll purposely look in the mirror and mess his hair up, and then go out, which is genius. Really, that is kind of genius. He knows. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. Our prime minister sets aside an hour for that time to look in the mirror before he goes out. I'm okay with that. If I yeah. was prime minister, I'd put two hours into my hair. <laughs> And Me he sits too. there, and there's sparkles and rainbows, and it makes glittery sounds as he looks in the mirror. Shines. Although I did like his hair longer. His pandemic hair was pretty was pretty good. Got to give him credit. That was pretty good flow. I wish I had that hair. Yeah, it's good. That was uh, that made uh, men jealous all over the country. I mean, most men will never admit to a bromance. Most Canadian men look at his hair and go, "God, wish I could do that." Yeah, definitely. No, no question. There's one woman in the UK who loves Boris so much, uh, she made a portrait of him out of human hair. Davinia Fox, also known as, oh, from Rockwell Green, Somerset, made the five foot by three foot artwork on her salon floor. She told the BBC that the pandemic had proved her profession was not a dead end job and wanted to thank the prime minister for getting the country through it. Miss Fox said, I would love for him to come and see it. We commend Fox on her work. It looks just like him. It's also terrifying. Um, Yeah, restraining order style. She collected waste hair from cuts she carried out during the brief period when businesses were allowed to open between the lockdowns. I had, well, over a half a black sack of hair. (laughs) I don't know how big a black sack is of hair, but... Apparently, it's a lot, which I very carefully swept without my clients knowing. 
adds to the creep. She took two days off work to complete the hairy masterpiece, putting in 16 hours of effort. Ms. Fox added, I wanted to give something back. I wanted to show how much people's hair did grow through the lockdowns and hairdressers without hairdressers there. Um, Have you okay, seen so it? There, there would be some really great locks and lockdown things there. I would just also like to add in, um, hi, police. Anybody think of calling the police? Now, I, I, this, this, yeah, it's a bit the much. Picture, and yeah, the picture. It looks like a hooked rug. It's very creative. Yeah. I find stranger's hair really gross. Yes. Yeah. People who buy wigs with real hair, I understand that there's a, an amazing use for them, but I would not. Uh, ugh, that creeps me out for some reason. I don't know why. There isn't. Well, I mean, I, and I get it in that case, you know, you want to have natural hair because you don't have hair, you know, so that that part I'm not does not bother me. But when there is a rogue hair anywhere in a public washroom or maybe at a hotel hot tub or whatever, I like just one makes you go, oh, that makes me go, oh, anyway, maybe that's just me. I don't know. No, hair is gross. No, I'm with you there. Absolutely. This is the Shift Podcast. COP26 is going on in Scotland. Dan McTagg looks tired. <laughs> Are you tired, Dan McTagg, from following all of this? Yeah, my, my arm's a little tired from flying over there and back. <laughs> back again. Well, isn't that ironic? I've made that joke more than once this week about all the 100 uh, different uh, folks that are 200 total that have flown over there on their jets to go talk about climate. I uh, it never escapes me. Uh, not why we're here, though, necessarily to beat up specifically on that. There has been more information come out. There has been more stuff that has come out around energy that has kind of slid under the radar with things going up at COP26. And I wanted to start, Dan, with uh, Canadians for Affordable Energy is your organization. And you are a former Liberal MP. Um, was it Foreign Affairs you did? What did you do? You did... Um... Yeah, so uh, a lot of energy and then shifted... Uh... I had to redefine myself in the early late 1990s to 2000 into foreign affairs, consular affairs, affairs That's uh, right. and veterans affairs uh, with the wounded soldiers. So all three. Okay. Uh, so some of the conversations that have come, you know, foreign affairs and energy, really those two are dancing like crazy these days. Um, standards for carbon pricing has been tossed about by our illustrious prime minister saying that uh, the world needs a standard for carbon pricing, which to me seems lofty when we can't get a standard around dollars and cents. Well, what he's actually saying is a standard to, so that countries actually have a carbon tax. Most, as we know, do not. In fact, the vast majority, I think you can count on two hands the number that do. The problem with the prime minister is he's not telling everybody the whole truth. He actually has three carbon taxes. The one that we know of, which uh, is, has gone from, uh, well, this year it'd be $40 a ton up to uh, $107 a ton by uh, 2030, uh, is the carbon tax everybody knows. The one that he didn't really talk about, which he unveiled last December, the clean fuel standard, is in fact the second one. And it does force companies that emit to pay uh, a ransom, I'll call it what you will, pay for a credit. And that cost of carbon credits has gone through the roof and now a third one 
dealing not so much with uh, the actual gas of methane, but regulating methane. Uh, any way you slice it, um, there are no other nations that do this. And uh, no other nation would recommend you have two, let alone three, uh, carbon taxes. Uh, and I use, uh, you know, William Nordhaus, uh, who won his uh, Nobel Peace Prize back a few years ago as a climate the economist said, use one and go for one, which is what I, what I thought the prime minister would have done. But uh, it sounds more like lecture, look at us. Uh, and he's doing it, you know, Shane, to a large extent, because he's, you know, free in the knowledge that people haven't really felt the full impact. We're only starting to see shapes of what this is starting to look like in terms of slowing economy, uh, higher gas prices, obviously, but higher natural gas prices. And of course, uh, much higher than expected uh, by almost all measures much higher inflation. And it looks like it's going to be um, more than transitory. It's uh, it's going to be, uh, you know, uh, the kind of inflation that sticks around for a while. I think they call it structural. If that happens, uh, we're back to 1981. That's mind-blowing. Um, methane, for the record, is quite nasty stuff. Um, yep. And uh, there's no denying that. Um, but the... Uh, you said that he's he's sort of out with this sort of look at us delivery. I mean, yeah. he's really yeah. he's like a peacock right now over there. And there there's an awful lot of detractors here. I mean, Australia, Japan, Saudi, uh many different countries don't agree with a lot of the agenda. They didn't even go in some cases. Um I'm going to call it like it is. Okay, so you're you're a former MP. You did all these things. Looks to me like he's literally trying to posture himself for the job at the UN. I've made that assertion before. I will make it again. And to me, that's what this looks like. I can't escape it now. I can't unsee it because everything he does is not to serve Canada. It's not even doesn't seem to serve. I mean, this, a lot of the climate advocates have come out and saying taxing for this is not working. It's not working. So ask BC. Yeah. Well, BC's not happy about it. That's for sure. And no, but they're not, they're, their emissions are going up. They're not going down. Yeah. Well, emissions are going up everywhere. And, um, and further to that though, it seems to me like this is all part of the resume. Yeah. I think there's something there. Um, but it, it's pretty clear that when you have the third largest hydrocarbons reserves anywhere in the world, and you happen to be prime minister of a country that is the coldest in the world, you far more than Russia and far more than China. Um, and you take this kind of view that you can simply trivialize, not mention, uh, or you know, suppress it in favor of trying to impress folks uh, at various forum and, and summits like this. Uh, it sounds like he isn't. He certainly doesn't have the backs of Canadians. Now he does have, but to to in fairness, he has a lot of people who are um, not concerned. I would say he has a lot of people here in my town, Toronto. GTA, who are apoplectic over climate, who think the, the, the sky is falling. The fact that he referred to Lytton, which uh, he says burnt to the ground, we won't get into the fact that it's likely someone burnt it uh, and that it had not hit the highest records ever. We saw in 1921, again in 1914, well, and it, for a long, much I'll add to that, for a long time, it has been the hottest place in Canada. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it... <laughs> Soyuz would uh, be, be probably want to uh, probably want to uh, uh, debate that. But look, we have a prime minister who isn't really doesn't feel he needs to worry too much about what's happening in Canada, the domestic front. So you know, a, a budget that's out of control, spending that's out of control, 
the Bank of Canada set to increase interest rates several times over the next two years. Uh, that this is not transitory inflation. This is you know permanent inflation. Uh, that we are seeing very little in the way of growth. That we're seeing inflation now hit levels we haven't seen in 18 years. That he's prepared to pile not one, two, but three carbon taxes suggests to me uh, that uh, the plot is lost and his not his interest and his attention is not Canada. And I would have to agree with you. What it sounds like it is the UN or something around the UN. Uh, but I see that his suitors are there. Who has come with him? Well, Mark Carney's there, of course, the guy responsible for you know denying and strangling uh, energy uh, so that we have a supply crunch, not just here in Canada, but globally. Uh, I see that uh, Chris here, Freeland, is there. So either one of those would be quick successors to uh, to Mr. Trudeau, who I doubt will, will run the next election. And if he does, uh, with the economic tidal wave that's coming, most of which, and I have to say this as a liberal and someone who knows what he's talking about, they created. Uh, I don't think he'd stand a snowball's hope in hell of winning the next election. When you talk about, you know, what he's been saying at COP26, and you talk about the taxes that are to come. I can't help but take this lens, Dan McTagg, that they haven't talked about capping production yet, specifically at COP26. In fact, a lot of the Enviro people have been very clear that we're grossly disappointed in the fact that he's talking about emissions, not talking about capping or canceling production. So that um, that leads me to believe that part of the formula might be Let's keep some production or the production, maybe not grow it, but keep it in order because of this windfall of taxes that's coming once they get the taxes up and then they're like, hey, we're providing the energy and then they're just going to keep pumping it out. And it seems to be a convenient omission to part of the formula. Maybe. Uh, the other omission is that he's not taxing everything. The, G the, the hard caps don't apply to transportation. Um they don't trans, you know. They don't uh, apply to rail. Uh, they don't apply to, uh, although you know, the carbon taxes will. Uh, they don't apply to cement production, which you know, I'm Toronto. We have uh, several of them, and you go buy them on the 401 anytime here. Anybody listening in Toronto will know. You drive out to Darlington, Clarington, you see St. Mary's cement, uh, and it's just a you know a haze of, of yellow. A brand new cement plant in Quebec gets an exemption. So uh, you know, I, I think. There is probably more in the way of optics to satisfy a particular constituency. The fact that he had sworn in Stéphane Guibault as his Minister of uh, Environment and uh, his previous Minister of Environment as Minister of Natural Resources. I think he's written off uh, a significant portion, 10 to 15 percent of the economy and probably about 20 percent of uh, the population by simply saying, I can win without you. I don't need you. His father did that, by the way. And it created uh, a significant amount of rancor. What he's he can't get away from, and no one can, is that we have, unlike 2008, where demand drove up uh, energy prices, we now have a shortage of supply driving up prices. And there's no one out there that has, uh, you know, uh, uh, additional supplies. And if you're going to burden a country like Canada, and its ability to sell natural gas to the rest of the world with the rest of the world shaking its head saying, we need your stuff. Why aren't you giving it to us? Why aren't you selling it to us? Then you have to wonder, really, what is at play? What is the game plan? What is Parliament doing? Parliament hasn't sat in God knows how long. I mean, just not with COVID. There is no accountability. And so he has a free hand in doing exactly what he wants. Uh, and unfortunately, I, I've never seen a scenario like this, but 
Canadians seem to be comfortable with the lessening of their democracy and having someone running amok uh, on a, on policies, in my view, Shane, that uh, are more notional, are more, uh, you know, wishy-washy and what kind of aspirational stuff that we want to talk about, but completely fundamentally uh, detached from reality. And it's a harsh reality that's coming right now. Uh, look, food prices. My wife just, uh, we came back uh, two hours ago and she said, look, look what's happened. Bottle of bleach. You could always get one for a buck ninety nine for three point six liters. Now try to find one under three bucks, and I, that's only a, you know a symptom of a much bigger problem. Mm-hmm. The Dairy Commission, the Dairy Commission yesterday is saying eight point four percent increase, and expect that to really bite by February first, just at the time when utility bills are coming in. Uh, governments are trying to raise here in Ontario, for instance, minimum wage. 15 bucks isn't enough because we have seen such a devastating impact of the inflationary effect of higher energy costs. And believe me, it is energy. I know that there are people who will tiptoe around that and try to tap dance around that, say, no, 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 it's it's all about supply chain. The aggravating factor here is, in fact, the cost of energy. So, you know, you can talk about supply not being getting it from China and India. The fact is that they're not able to produce because they're running out of fuel. There's no... um and there's no denying there are a bunch of ships in ports and less people working. So let's not make sure that we don't uh, completely collapse them, but let's also make sure we don't get distracted away from the various things that are happening. When we look at the, um, the, the politics around all of these things, has it always been like this? I mean, you're a veteran. I'm trying to be gentle. <laughs> You've done it for a long time. Um, you know, has it always been like this, though, Dan, where Canadians really didn't care what happened? Oh, no. No, Canadians, I, I've never noticed this in my time. I, I just turned 59 for those, uh, for the record. I spent 37 years of those with the Liberal Party in various capacities, from uh, trench digger to uh, uh, to working in the House. Um, no, I, I've never seen a situation where Canadians have been less engaged and less informed. I say less, less informed because I don't see the letter writing. I don't see the email writing. It's either people have given up or they don't care. Or that they, this is a generation that doesn't really communicate in the same level. I also think that something else is at play here, and that's uh, it's not a it's not a self serving remark, but my God, things have gone so well in this economy over the past thirty years. We don't have you know uh, uh, you know the the massive interest rate problem or the uh, jobless recoveries. Uh, these types of things that you know dogged previous governments that had people engaged of necessity. You know we're all. We're all doing very well. Mm-hmm. Our healthcare system, our social programs, we have we've had problems. But unfortunately, I think the past two to three years, it's been sorely neglected, not just by our politicians, but by people who normally are well, I mean, the watch the watchmen and women and men who should be paying a bit more attention to what's going on. And that's provides no break. It does not provide any kind of accountability or scrutiny of the conduct of government. It just isn't there anymore. And when it is there, it's usually immersed in, you know, in, in significant bias one way or another. And so some of these issues like climate, uh, some of these issues like, um, you know, social programs and uh, uh, yeah, the Me Too movements, all these movements are much bigger than I think the, uh, the, the traditional power of political parties uh, to to rule and to govern and to be held to account. I think it's all over. And so a lot has changed, even in 10 years. Uh, but I think the pendulum is going to start to swing back, Shane. So one of the things that I don't agree with it, but I think that they did really well for their agenda 
was the Liberal Party saddled up with we. And we was offering free resources to teachers. Someone did the research. Someone went and said, teachers just need help. Teachers are underfunded. Classrooms are too big. Let's give them the tools. Let's give them the websites. Let's give them the documents. Let's give them the books. And all of those books were heavily leaning towards one agenda. Now, that was genius from a a politicking point of view or a marketing point of view. Uh, I don't agree with it. But frankly, it was. They basically inserted themselves into the curriculum without inserting themselves into the curriculum by getting right at the kids. It wasn't a lot different than a soda pop company marketing to children or when you would see cigarette companies that used to market to children uh, way back in the day. And all of those things that, that were out there, we were seeing politics be marketed to the children. Now, when we look at this today, is this one of the symptoms that we're seeing now is the we don't care or um, one lopsided pendulum? Do we need to look at the babies? You're a dad, you're a granddad, you've got all these uh, family members around you in your house. And do we need to teach not how parliament works, but how politics work? So we as Canadians can be prepared. And I say that including this in mind. Last night in the shifts, we started talking about, we don't teach about money in school because financial illiteracy breeds a society that doesn't challenge the government. And yet here we are not really teaching kids how it truly works. We teach it how it was designed. Very good points. (laughs) Ironically, I picked up my daughter last night from the Craig Kilberger High School on Derry Road in Milton. So I'm having a bit of a chuckle with all this. Oh dear. But that aside, uh, there's my motivation. I can use myself as the best example since it's, you know, my best teacher was if you were concerned with something, get involved with the process, understand it, and make the changes you want. Don't get angry, you know, get even as it were. But the level of engagement, civic, you know, civic responsibility, even in my time, I think, uh, it's there, but it's certainly not the way it was before. And people, you know, the, the confluence of social media and other factors. But yes, the, the, the WE program, I think, permitted uh, with the help of governments and generosity and the bandwagon effect, um, you know, to, uh, to achieve certain outcomes that couldn't otherwise be achieved, you know, given limitations, financial and otherwise resources for the curriculum. I'm convinced though that the and I I come back to the point I made earlier which is uh, there is uh, really uh, an opportunity and a a desire to a reset not necessarily back to the way it was and the way it was being you know a formal understanding of the world around us but I think we have to look at more practical realistic outcomes not just from our academics but in the way in which we are approaching life as a whole. I mean, we've been spending a lot of time dealing with, uh, you know, things that are fanciful, tangential, um, you know, what would it look like? It's okay to dream, but you've had a society really based on not having a, a practical understanding of what makes this country tick. And that's critical. We don't know how Canada uh, rates, how it works, how it functions, how it maintains, and yet it does. Um, I think we're, we're living on borrowed, you know, time of what our parents and others built for us uh, through great sacrifice. There are many elements here that uh, that go into that. I think 
we've taken it for granted, not just the financial stability of the country in the good times, but so many other things about what has made Canada unique. Now, change happens, but uh, I have a feeling that sometimes you want to have a better understanding of, uh, as Yogi Berry used to put it, if you don't know where you're going, chances are you're going to wind up somewhere else. We have to remember that we're only a generation or a generation and a half away from our family members who used to work so hard to keep extra cans of soup under the stairs just in case the next, you know, rationing came. Yep. It wasn't very long ago. And how complacent are we to sit here and think that everything's going to be fine and not get involved. And because of the fact that I can go to the mall now and buy a coach purse at seven different malls, uh, and it's that easy. Um, complacency. I don't know where I want to go with it, Dan, uh, as we look at this forward, because I don't know if I want to talk about complacency first, or I want to talk about, I have a writing piece called The New Debt which is all of this time debt that we have, like this new debt that we carry is not just finances. I mean, I don't even think these finances are the cost. I think if we really put our heads down and had a beer, I would, I think I could talk you into you as a, I mean, this is how lofty this, this thing is. I think I could talk you as a former MP, a guy who stands for Canadian uh, for affordable energy, talk you into believing that this is the effect. This is not the cause and our lack of time that we allow ourselves to be humans because we're so busy consuming everything around us. Oh my God, give me the top 10 on Netflix, please. That this is the effect. This isn't the cause. And to me, that's heartbreaking, dude. Yeah. Hey, listen, I think you got a great point. I'd love to talk about it. And I, but I, I think, yeah, we're, we're losing a sense of what humans do. And uh, we're uh, obviously look at the kids. I mean, it's more important to know the latest on TikTok. Even as practical, you can find some really decent stuff as opposed to spending time nurturing and understanding yourself and developing those social skills uh, that we once had. Uh, and that's not to say we, we've lost them, but our, certainly our propensity to be able to uh, manage tough times is, uh, has been seriously eroded. I, you know, Shane, what does have me most concerned is the fact that we are going to be heading for not uncertain times, but very difficult times. And I think it's going to the effect will be paradigmatical. I mean, we are going to see uh, significant upheavals in uh, our standard of living, our quality of life. And uh, some will say that's a great thing. It's very welcome. I happen to believe that uh, it's going to start to affect things that, uh, well, Larry Fink uh, two weeks ago made it very clear. And we and I talked about this many, many weeks ago. Um, you know, $100 barrel oil could trigger social upheaval. I think they understand what that means. And it means that uh, talk to the farming communities across this country, speak to those who are having to buy oats and how much, if they can even get it, ask them how good they're doing on getting certain types of fertilizers, urea, natural gas, um, uh, nitrogen based fertilizers, not potash. You're going to find that this is becoming a bit of an eye opener because it really sets the stage for impossibly high prices for everything. And it's going to force people to choose between the hot shower, the hot food, or in fact, uh, you know, whether or not they can purchase the uh, uh, something that would make a, a fairly decent diet for them going forward. I think we're going to be dealing with food shortages in a very short period of time and in short order that will simply mirror uh, the shortages we're seeing in energy. But good news, you can get a new cell phone case by tomorrow on Amazon. 
<laughs> so that's probably all you're going to get. You won't be able to get the the the, uh, the cell phone itself. That's so like yeah, the supply the mat, supply stuff. Actually, that, that just too. happened to my son. He ordered a cell phone because Apple's not they don't have any. Um, and so he's at the end of November. Uh, his phone yep. comes. His case arrived today. So we'll call that uh, a perfect timing. Dan McTagg, Canadians for Affordable Energy. So much to talk about here. I'd like to say we're being we're going like a funnel. We're narrowing it down. But as we dig yep. into it in conversation, what I think we're learning is is that how enormous the problem is, Dan. So I really appreciate it. Look forward to chatting next week. Great to be here, and thank you for letting us expand. It's uh, it's necessary. Thanks, Shane. This is the Shift Podcast. Kylo that he's like upstream of Santa good he's the guy Santa goes to to plan the toy making for the year Blaine Kylo how are you I'm good I I, I can help as long as those toys have like a whole bunch of electronics and chips and things in them Mm -hmm. I'm not not so good with the the non-electronic toys yeah Santa's a chip maker it's all good no worries he is He'll take care of that. How are you? How are things? What's going on in the uh, Kylo household? Yeah, well, we're in Vancouver. And so at this time of year, it's rain and some more rain and some more rain. It did not rain on Halloween. Thanks the, the for that. The kids had a dry Halloween and it was actually kind of a nice, kind of a nice night. Nice. They call it the wet coast for the reason, right? Yep, they do. Nice. Okay. We're going to, uh, where do you want to go? Do you want to go to... Um, the Scarlet Game thing, or do you want to go to the Fan Fest first? Let's get into games. No, let's let's do Scarlet Nexus because wow, this was a surprise for me. Um, okay. A Japanese role playing game, Scarlet Nexus, coming from Bandai Namco, and you might have heard that Japanese role playing game. And really, it's a role playing game. Any time that you have a character that you're playing, where you can improve the skills and abilities or the equipment or the weapons that the character is using. So anytime that you've got control over the leveling up of that character, you get to make decisions about where their powers are going to get better. It's a role-playing game. The reason that Japanese role-playing games are sort of considered separately is really in how they tell their stories. Western role-playing games, you tend to It's all about power fantasies and you embody the hero, the protagonist. But Japanese role-playing games, it's much more of a a suite of characters that all are part of a much bigger story. And so you are becoming a character as opposed to you filling the shoes of the hero character. And so that's really what differentiates the two types of role-playing games Scarlet Nexus is a Japanese role-playing game, and here's the setup. It's the future, and there's some kind of a hormone that's been discovered in humans' brains that kind of gives us psychic abilities, and some people have stronger psychic abilities than others, but strange creatures called others have descended upon the earth to feed on our brains because they want this hormone. So to protect humanity... Psionics who have 
great control of their psychic powers are recruited to be on this other suppression force, the OSF, and their responsibility is to defeat these strange creatures that are killing humans. And it's a wacky kind of a story concept, but what Scarlet Nexus delivers is a really novel-like story. It's, it's, got twists and it's got turns and you've got all of these characters that are coming together and interacting well. It's really interesting. And what you'd have to do is you've got two characters that you can play and to really get a full picture of the story, you have to actually play the game twice because when you play the one protagonist, you only get one side of the story. There's a whole other side of the story that you get playing the other protagonist. And if that wasn't interesting enough, it's backed by this energetic industrial electronic metal soundtrack that is absolutely perfect for the world that's been created here. It's available on all the systems. If you've got the Xbox Game Pass, you can play it as part of your subscription. That's how I found this. And I've got to tell you, it's been out for a few weeks, but it's one of the best games I've played this year. That's a bold statement, and it surprised you, huh? I didn't, I, I had no, you know, I sort of, the Final Fantasies and things like that are the real traditional popular Japanese RPGs, and and I've kind of softened on those in the, in, the, in the past few years just because they require so much time, but Scarlet Nexus was different enough that uh, I quite enjoyed it. It's neat that when you talk about it, um, I think what you got me is that, A, the multiple player things, plus this and i'm going to call it ego it's kind of like there's an ego to this game that you get to be the one and only hero that saves the day as opposed to you know i don't want team mentality social mentality community maybe um pretty cool stuff all right blaine kylo solocore.com s-o-l-o-c-o-r-p-s.com it is scarlet nexus that particular game okay fan fest trivia 20 years of xbox i might be able to answer one of the years but that's about it (laughs) the first one Well, Xbox and Microsoft have been doing all kinds of things this year to celebrate the 20th anniversary of this gaming platform and ecosystem. And the next thing is the Xbox Fan Fest Trivia Contest. It runs on the 23rd, no, sorry, the 13th of November. It's a Saturday. But I'm telling you now, because if you want to participate, you have to get yourself registered at the Xbox Fan Fest website, and you have to opt in to participate in this. And you've only got until November 9th to opt in. And after you opt in, you'll get sent emails that will tell you how to participate. This is kind of fun. There are uh, 10 rounds in the game, five questions in each round, and rounds one and three are open to everyone. And then they start knocking people down. So only the top 2,500 scores move on to rounds four and five. And then only 500. And then only 100. And you keep going until there's only one person left. And that one person is going to get themselves a Halo Infinite Xbox Series X bundle. So that includes the game and the controller. Some nice Bang & Olufsen wireless headphones an Xbox force feedback racing wheel to play Horizon, the new Horizon that's about to come out, a one-year subscription to Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, a special edition anniversary controller, and a bunch of gift cards to use in the Xbox gear shop. So, you know, that's like $1,700 US prize package for the person who 
knows more about the history of Xbox than anyone else. That sounds like fun. That's cool. That's like the nerds unite coming together. I love it. Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Um, what's going on here with the Viking Age? Yeah, so this is a game that we've talked about, and Ubisoft's yep. Assassin's Creed series is, you know, renowned. What Ubisoft started doing a couple of years ago, and they've done it with two of their other Assassin's Creed games, the ones that take place in ancient Egypt and in ancient Greece, they actually take that engine and they take that world and they convert it into an educational experience that they call the Discovery Tour. So Discovery Tour Viking Age is an interactive educational experience that's built on Valhalla. It's um, nonviolent. It's all sort of a, a learning experience developed in collaboration with the historians and archaeologists. And essentially, they've what they've done differently is with Greece and Egypt, you just kind of walked around the environment and you saw artifacts and it was all fine. But what they've done with Viking Age is they've actually given you a narrative. They've given you a story to anchor the experience. So it's a full-on way of sort of exploring the ninth century of Norway and England, which is when the Norwegian Vikings came over and started populating and settling in what we now know as England. Cool stuff. Blaine Kylo here on The Shift. I don't know uh, if you've heard this, actually, Blaine, but it's a very important weekend this weekend. Um, that, I, I mean, I hope you're prepared with some sort of gaming or electronic gift because coming up this weekend, it's Ryan's birthday. And so, uh, yes, we are celebrating like it's it's his birthday week. Um, do you have any game or um, gift suggestions maybe that that we should consider for for Ryan O'Donnell? Just something that comes off the top of your head because it's his birthday. Uh, I've got to say the game that I'm really still playing more than anything is one that I talked about last week. It's the Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. It has got it. It is an absolutely crackerjack story, and I know Ryan likes to play. It's it's absolutely one that should be on his list. Our guest is Blaine Kylo, Technological World Solocore.com, S O L O C O R P S dot com. Earbuds, love them, hate them, not for everybody. Blaine, they're getting so much better. They really are, um, and. There are so many options out there now that there really is something for everybody, I think. Um, I have been trying Amazon's Echo Buds, the second generation of the wireless earbuds that come from Amazon. Uh, the, the, what sets these apart from other wireless earbuds, of course, is that they've got the Alexa Digital Assistant integrated right in. So if you're active in the Amazon ecosystem and you use Alexa, these wireless earbuds are, are excellent for you. In terms of them in comparison to other wireless earbuds, I mean, they're fine. Um, they're not as great as other earbuds that I have been wearing. Um, these originally came out in the U S in the springtime. So they're just now coming into Canada. So about six months later, and when they came out in the U S 
one of the big selling features of the Echo Buds is that they Amazon had kind of undercut all the other manufacturers. So with the Echo Buds, you were getting you know, light, comfortable earbuds. They've got active noise cancelling. They're resistant to water and sweat. The microphones are fine. I find the sound quality to be tinny unless you're listening to music with the heavy bass, in which case you don't notice the tinniness because they're maybe a little too bassy. So the sound wasn't as amazing as some of the other earbuds that I've used. And if you're paying less than you're paying for other earbuds, the Echo Buds are actually a fantastic option. But now, six months after they've been released, all the pricing has changed. So you're looking at 155 bucks for the Echo Buds. If you want to have a wireless charging case, they're 180 And the truth is, other manufacturers have dropped prices. So you can spend like $300, like my favorite, favorite earbuds are the Momentum True Wireless 2s from Sennheiser. They've got the best sound that you can get. But they're also $400 earbuds. Now, $150 is way better than $400, and you're getting pretty good sound quality. But there are Sennheiser two wireless earbuds that are a little cheaper, and they're only $120 right now. And Samsung has dropped the prices on all of their wireless earbuds down to $120, $130, $140. And all of a sudden, the $150 Echo Buds, they're not so great anymore. So... I think that what you need to do is keep an eye on your prices because as we get closer to Christmas, Amazon's going to drop their pricing on these things. And if these things are like $110, $120, I think that they're a really good option for people because they are giving you pretty good value for a cheaper price. But if you can get way better earbuds for $20 more than what the Echo Buds are right now, I would spend the extra 20 bucks and get yourself the airpods uh the second generation airpods um because they're just they're they're better in the end so watch the pricing if the price comes down echo buds are a great option well value is such a big word so important the cool thing about the airpods though i mean they're just so deeply integrated into the iphones and stuff you just open it up it touch it it's it's cool that way um now when we talk about this next topic, I think I need your help with the Surface Duo 2. It's the dual screen mobile device, but it is different, I believe, than Samsung in that. On the Surface Duo 2, uh, there is a seam in between the two screens, although they do work interactively between one and two. Um, and the Samsung is like seamless in the fold. Do I understand that right? You've got it exactly right. And that is the big difference between what Microsoft has done with their dual screen device and the other manufacturers that they don't actually have dual screen devices. It's one screen that you can fold. And in a briefing that I attended a couple of weeks ago, Microsoft's design team were very clear about this. They they like, we didn't really want to do that. We actually think that having two separate screens is a better experience. And I got to say, after playing around with one for a little while, I agree with them. The Surface Duo 2 
it the whole point of it is it's two screens the industrial hinges on this thing mean that it is a solid device it doesn't feel crinkly it doesn't feel weak the screens themselves are great and because you've got this 360 degree hinges you can actually flip the thing all the way open so you can use it as a single screen device but you can also have it set up as a tent if you want to sort of use it as a monitoring screen you can use one screen for reading emails and another screen for typing on. It's great for gaming because you can have the top screen be your, your, your game experience and the bottom screen can be inventory management or controls or something like that. It, having played with the Nintendo DS, the dual screen Nintendo device, the Surface Duo 2 is just absolutely natural for me to use. I didn't even notice the tiny little space um, between the two screens because when you fold it out, they've got the screen so that they curve in towards the middle. There's very little space between those screens. You don't even notice it when you're using it in full screen. After a few minutes, you don't even know that there's a, a gap there. It sounds really cool. What would be something that you think you would use it for, Blaine? Being, I mean, you're a dad, you're a tech guy. Yeah, I mean, Microsoft says that this is a device that's made for um, people who are into productivity and collaboration. And that's Microsoft's bread and butter, right, is, is the business users. And I can absolutely see people using it for that. Using it within the Microsoft Teams environment, you know, you can have um, a document open on one side and you can see the team that you're working with on the other screen. It's great for spreadsheet type work or for even um, uh, word processing. Again, the two screens gives you a really good way of doing those kinds of things. It 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 is different flexibility than a true tablet because it's smaller and much more portable. And when you combine it with the Surface Pen, the stylus, it becomes really powerful because now you can actually use the pen to draw on or type on on one screen and see what you're doing on the other screen. So I think that it's a really fantastic device. It's 1900 bucks to start though. So it's not for everybody. It really is for the corporations and the the people who can afford to pay that kind of a money for, for this kind of a device. I just think that it's really interesting that Microsoft abandoned their mobile phone business back in 2016, and then kind of they sneak out with this Surface Duo 2, which is a really good mobile device and I think is the best of the dual screens out there. Well, it's not a whole lot more than my iPhone and not a whole lot more than my MacBook Air, so worth considering. Blaine Kylo, solocore.com. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.